This piece was brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, heritagefoodsusa.com. I guess the early 90s, I, on a personal level, I mean, I was doing a lot of work on myself. I mean, just to be more self-aware and more respectful of myself and learn how to manage myself, which in part came from me screwing stuff up like everything else in life. The people that do the best in our organization are the most self-reflective and the most collaborative. HeritageRadioNetwork.org proudly presents Evolutionaries, Zingermans, Ari Weinsweig. Ari Weinsweig is co-founder of the Zingermans Community of Businesses, a family of small food-related companies and ventures, each located in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area. Starting from the original deli, Zingerman's Community of Businesses has expanded to nine businesses with over 500 total employees. Zingerman's changed the way people ate in Ann Arbor. It revolutionized food mail order and created a new model for entrepreneurship in the world of gastronomy. Their impact on the food in America cannot be understated, and Ari Weinsweig's philosophy is a huge part of what makes Zingerman's so special. The first company, Zingerman's Delicatessen, was founded in 1982 by Paul Saginaw and Ari Weinsweig, and it was that deli that served as the springboard for what was to come. First decade of business. I mean, it's it's so long ago. Again, I mean, we just started with a few employees, and so, you know, the growth was, in a good way, organic. And as now, I mean, it just was a lot about learning about the food is really what drove me. I mean, and I probably knew a lot by the standards of the average American, but compared to what I know now, I knew nothing. And so, you know, it was just this constant studying and trying to learn more about, and we've always focused from the get-go and traditional full-flavored food. I mean, that's what we do. So, and I'm a history major, so we study and you know, so just reading every book I could get my hands on and then uh, eventually starting to travel and go to the places that the food was from. And I guess in a good way, I mean, those are things now that are just sort of like the norm and everybody's going and blogging and writing and, you know, but at the time it was <laughs> far less done. And uh, I have pretty vivid memories. I mean, of showing up at various spots, which are now famous spots of Martelli pasta or whatever. And hardly anybody had been there and so they're just all kind of wild uh and then without social media that the transfer of information was infinitely slower so like now i could go online like probably while i'm talking to you on my phone at the same time and look up something and you know know who the seven producers of caper berries in the town of whatever but at the time there was really no way to know other than books and because there were no cell phones you couldn't get people on the phone and if you it just was a whole lot harder, but maybe that was good. We learned We learned well. Paul's wife, Lori, helped make blackboards, and actually Maggie was a friend, and she helped make some blackboards, and people with better handwriting than I did, like them, could make signs, and that's what we did. So, I mean, it was just the cheapest thing we knew how to do, blackboards, handmade signs, and then uh, as we grew, Steve Muno came to work with us. He was a photography major from Michigan State, and his girlfriend at the time, now wife, Monique Wallach was uh, at Michigan, and she was a year behind him. So 
he sort of in quotes had like a year to kill and he came to work with us and worked behind the cheese counter this i'm guessing it's like 84 he was a very talented artist so you know when it was slow he'd start making signs and then he made more signs and then pretty soon we had him like full-time just making signs and then pretty soon we hired an assistant for him and then pretty soon it became a whole department and it basically built on that and his handwriting which is now sort of legendary became the handwriting that everybody who made signs learned how to use and uh he just always had this sort of unique style of lettering which i can't do but lots of other people can and that became the look so at the time that we started the catalog which is the early 90s uh, food photography was extremely expensive food styling i mean we didn't have that kind of money and so we already were making signs and posters so we just had the same people that were making the posters do drawings and as with almost everything of course everybody said well you can't do that like no one will ever buy food from a catalog without photos and we were like well it's all we can afford so it's what we're going to do and of course now it's famous and everybody loves it and of course now photography like you and i could do it with our phones for free basically and we pay people to sit there for hours and literally illustrate stuff totally by hand but it's amazing work and it's just the irony of history Opened 82. By the early 90s, we had expanded physically twice on the site. Um, we're in a historic district, so up until the last few years, I'd always say we couldn't expand anymore, but that turned out to not be true. But it took 20 years to get there. But we had been really clear from the beginning, although we didn't call it a vision, we had been very clear from the get-go that we only wanted to have one deli. We knew that we wanted to have really great food and service, but in a very accessible setting. Uh, and to do something unique and special and not be a, a copy of something else and to do it in a way that was grounded in the community. And we didn't call it a vision, but in hindsight, that's kind of what it was. It was far less thought out in terms of being able to communicate it than anything we do now, but it was there. And Paul has what I call a very good intuitive organizational alarm clock which goes off at moments that for me are sort of inconvenient and that I'm not generally ready to hear but it's going off for really good reasons and so one morning probably around 9 30 or 10 o'clock in the summer he sat me down on this little bench that's out front of the deli building and I know it was mid-morning because I really was mostly focused on getting set up for the lunch rush and he sort of sat me down and goes like okay in 10 years what are we doing and I was like, what? And he's like, in 10 years, what are we doing? And I'm like, why are you asking me this? <laughs> you know, it wasn't like we'd been discussing this. It was just completely out of the blue, which, you know, when you know Paul is not weird. But anyway, I had no clue of an answer. And he was like, no, really, in 10 years, what are we doing? I'm like, look, man, all I want to be doing is going and get ready for lunch because we're going to get crushed and we're not ready. And he's like, no, this is really important. We got to get this figured out. What are we doing? I'm like, Paul, man, why are you asking me this? Like, things are fine. And, you know, he had a good instinct, which was that we needed to reset. And, I mean, we were at a point that in knowing what I know now, I would equate to organizational midlife or finishing college or whatever, where you sort of work through all this, you know, social dissonance and you survived and made it out the other side. And in quotes, people think you're successful, but it's like you finish college and graduate and it's really exciting, but now you actually have no clue what you're going to do. Or as a business that you, 
you know, like everybody said, we would never make it. There was no parking. It was a bad neighborhood. Ann Arbor wouldn't support a deli. So everybody was, in quotes, against us. And then we had made it. But you're not really rich. You're not retiring. You're not done. So he was asking the right question. I was completely unprepared to answer it. Uh, And my upbringing or wiring or whatever is not naturally conducive to visioning. So I'm much more from the like, well, I would never really tell you what my dreams were until I knew I could do them because I hate failing. He's really the other way, which is it's like, sure, I'll tell you whatever I want. Let's just go. Now we'll start doing it. And so anyway, I was very resistant to his question, but it was a very good question. And we ended up spending about a year of arguing, discussing, dialoguing, disagreeing, coming back to the table, out of which came this vision for Zingerman's 2009, which we actually wrote down and I don't know, it's six, seven pages long. And it outlined this idea that we would grow but stay true to our original vision of only having the one business. And so we would do that by creating what we called Zingerman's Community of Businesses, and that we would open, I think we wrote in there, like a dozen different Zingerman's businesses all in the Ann Arbor area uh, because we like to be close to the people that we work with and to the customers, that each business would be a Zingerman's business, but each would be unique, and that was a way that we could grow but stay true to the original idea of only having the one deli. So, And that what those businesses were would be determined to a great extent by uh, having managing partners that own part of that business and had a real passion for what that business did because our experience of the food business is that as and i'm not saying there aren't exceptions but as organizations grew they lost the original passion and energy the further they got from the original place the less interesting it got and they might have done a lot of business but it just didn't appeal and so our thought was well if we actually have a partner who actually owns part of that business that's on site every day driving for greatness and really immerses him or herself in what that business does then they could actually make something great happen there and then that the whole thing would be synergistic so that we could create an entity that was greater than the sum of the individual parts So, again, no one really liked that vision. The lawyers hated it because it was risky to have partners. And the accounting people hate it because they're all separate business entities and they all file separate tax returns. And they just thought that was like the most ridiculous thing in the world. Uh, The business school people were completely stumped because it was like we were abandoning our core competency and turning down this gold mine to go and open Zingerman's all over the country. And really, even the longtime deli managers weren't wild about it either. Conceptually, they were fine. But then when we started doing it, the idea of like going back to acting like a startup, when to their credit, they had worked hard to stabilize things was not that appealing either. But, you know, the same thing. We wrote it. We had written it down. We shared it. And we just kept going. And uh, here we are. Relationships are relationships. So there's a mythology that relationships are supposed to be forever. And it doesn't mean that it's not good if they're forever, but most of them aren't for whatever reasons. We die, uh, we get divorced, we move away, we go on separate paths in our lives, we develop different interests. It's not a static thing, right? And so each of us as individuals hopefully is growing and changing and evolving, or one of us is growing and evolving and changing, the other one's not. But either way, there can be good fits and there can be times when they're not good fits and i think that ever more clearly over the years but really throughout i mean we've just always we've never held it against somebody if they didn't want to work with us it doesn't make them a bad person just means they want to do something else and sometimes they knew they didn't want to work with us sometimes it was for good reasons because they 
wanted to go open her own place or they wanted to move or they wanted to change careers or whatever uh sometimes it was not that great in the moment and you know in the same way that bad breakups happen and we've all had them it's not like we're that clear on why we're breaking up but we do things that in hindsight unproductively in the moment lead us towards where we kind of need to be but maybe don't have the mindfulness or courage or whatever to to own at the time and uh, I think that's true with the organization so there's tons of people who are out there in the world doing great things and some we know and some we don't and some show up and the longer we're in business the more people show up and I can't quite remember all of them and I got a pretty good memory (laughs) but I had you know one woman who's like my brother worked for you 20 years ago the other day and I'm like okay I don't remember him right off but part of our vision is uh, our current vision which is for Zingerman's 2020 is that we leave our world a better place uh, than it was when we got going and I, I think one piece of that for me is that all the people that we interact with in this case people who work in the organization leave better for having been there and that people take tools with them or friendships with them and I think it's pretty clear that there's a lot of good people that have taken visioning or service standards or servant leadership or open book finance or the passion for studying food and taking notes and really learning, teaching a lot and all those sort of things and taking it and put it to work in their lives in their own space, whether that's at home or in a business or a university or whatever. And that's great. Well, I think I understand personal development a lot more now and not like I got it down either because there's another 200 years of study to do and I'm not going to get to do it all. But I guess having studied it a lot lately around neuroplasticity, which is the way your brain changes and evolves. So uh, I have not studied this for my whole life, but apparently they used to always think that your brain was basically formed and you were who you were as a kid. But it's now seems pretty clear that people can evolve as long as we're alive, we can continue to change. But in hindsight, I've done a lot of the things, and not that I'm the only one by any means, but I've done a lot of the things that now science is showing that you're supposed to do, and I didn't do them because of that. I just did them because it was what came naturally to me. So it's really just once I decided that I wanted to do something and get good at it, then I'm just very determined and stubborn, and I just and I know it's a lot of work. And so... The stuff about self-awareness, I mean, it was just sort of this belated glimpse of the obvious in that time that all the things I had done at work that had helped me succeed, studying really hard, working really hard, studying more, working really hard, again, you know, I hadn't done in my personal sense. And so then it was just applying the same thing, like, okay, I'm going to study myself and I'm going to figure out what the hell's going on and and why I'm struggling with this or struggling with that or doing well with this or doing well with that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, and and the stuff around neuroplasticity shows that basically within reason of physical ability, like I can't dunk a basketball or whatever, but 
other than that kind of stuff, really anybody could do almost anything. I mean, it's just that we don't work at it. Most people don't work at it that hard. And the research from Anders Ericsson, who most people will know of because Malcolm Gladwell wrote about him, but he was a Swedish-born, I think, social psychologist, uh, is now in Florida, I think. And so he did all this study around what made successful people successful. And one of the key components was that they had done approximately 10,000 hours of mindful work in their area. And it's not just 10,000 hours of work in the area because it's 10,000 hours of mindful practice, so to speak. So in hindsight, it's really that they have a vision of where they're going, that they've internalized and bonded into and really emotionally and intellectually committed to. And then that they do the 10,000 hours of work en route to that vision, because otherwise it's just, if you, I don't know what the math is, but X number of years of 40 hours a week of the same job repeated over and over is not going to get to the same thing. And so, yeah, I'm a total introvert and I'm completely shy. And if you would have told me 25 years ago that I would be in front of 500 people or a thousand people presenting and I would have told you you were nuts and you might have been nuts but here i am presenting so it's just once i decided i was going to do it then i was like well i really don't want to be bad at it so i'm going to think of all the boring teachers i had and then not do that and then try to find ways to be myself but also be able to communicate in a way that worked you know and a lot of that just came out of it got really really hard to run a large organization without talking to anybody and i tried (laughs) but it didn't work and I hate failing. So then that drove me to, if I'm going to be good at this, you know, and a lot of it's just, if I want to get to where I want to go, then you got to do different things. I have a lot of regimen or that helps me to manage through all of the chaos of our existence. So Uh, I journal pretty much every morning. I run every day, and I cook up pretty much every night if I'm in town. So those things really help me stay grounded. And by the time I like run and stretch and whatever, it's an hour, hour and a half, two hours every day in the middle of the day. So for me, that's sort of my meditation or my yoga or whatever. And I'm just really religious about it. I'm not religious, but I'm really religious about that. So, you know, even when I'm out of town, I mean, I do it also. I just have tried to really surround myself with good people and good things and in the ever clearer understanding that the more you're around negative energy, it pulls you down and then it's a lot of work to stay out of it or you just get sucked down into it. And so, you know, I just try to stay away from people that obviously there's customers or employees or relatives are having a bad day. It's I'm, I'm with them. But, you know, in general, just to be around people with good energy and around books that I'm learning from. And and then over the last few three or four years, we've I learned about uh, energy management from a woman who's not a good friend of mine. We sort of adapted what we learned from her into our own version of energy management. And I wrote about it in the second part of the leadership book. And, you know, as we've now taught energy management within the organization, it's made me infinitely more conscious of it. And I was already kind of good at it. And then everybody around us is conscious of it. So it's just like if you're in a setting where no one's eating good food, it's very hard to eat good food. If you're like you and me, we don't like you probably don't have a lot of friends anymore that don't generally eat good food. So it's much easier now to stay around good food. And when you eat good food, you feel better when you enjoy what you're eating and you appreciate the story behind it, you feel better when you work with people who are mindful and caring and collaborative and and kind, 
then it's much easier to stay mindful, collaborative, caring, and kind. So the positives re, re, recreate and support more positives, which is a great thing. The whole thing of visioning is that you, if, it's not like everybody has to do a vision. If you don't want to do a vision, don't do a vision. But it's just if you want to have the life that you want to have, it's more likely if you get clear on what that is. Uh, and if, if what that life is is that you wander the world finding out what happens every day, that's actually a vision and there's nothing wrong with it and go for it. But because we have done visioning work and lived by it, we've basically written the future we wanted and then we're getting it. And so... I get to work with really great people and products I believe in and study food and work hard to help people's lives be better and that's the work and so obviously 30 years later I can't like lift every box like I used to or and I don't want to carry stuff up and down the stairs a lot because I'll probably fall and kill myself but you can mature and develop other things you can do so the water pitcher is not that heavy and the typewriter keys still work pretty good and so I can contribute in ways that are different than when you know I was 25 and I was like lifting everything and carrying everything and whatever so yeah just keep going I mean there's so many more places that I don't know anything about and even the places I know a lot about I still barely know hardly anything and uh the more we can take what we learn and translate it into stuff that we can teach, then other people learn from it too. And that's a really great way to make a positive difference. And so now, you know, when people are in our organization are like teaching visioning to high school kids, it's great. In 2007, Zingerman's launched their 2020 vision, charting the course for the company over the next 13 years. On March 15th of the same year, they celebrated their 25th anniversary with a 6,000-person street fair on Detroit Street, right outside the deli. Bon Appetit bestowed their Lifetime Achievement Award on Ari Weinzweig and Paul Saginaw, and accolades continue to roll in for the revolutionary business of Zingerman's. Visit Zingerman's.com to learn more about all things Zing. This piece was produced by Aaron Fairbanks and Jack Inslee, with additional research by Sari Kamen. The songs featured in this program, in order of appearance, are Frog and Toad by Archipelago, West Seventh by Comanche, Lung by Iggy Dean, Home by Tom Cruise, Dues Paid by Rectech, Asleep by Jerome LOL, and once again Frog and Toad by Archipelago. Thanks so much for listening to this special program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. For more of our programming and information on how to become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org. You can also connect with us on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and more. 